Welcome to Point Two Law Review. I'm John Brandt. And I'm Carson Messersmith. And we're here the uh, week of July 25th through July 28th, but that's not this week because we're delayed. Apologies. Yeah, big apologies. This one's on me. I'll take this one. No, no. Let's just take it collectively. Okay, a collective apology it's... from Point Two Law Review. <laughs> Sorry we're a week late, but we got some great And I ones. hope you hung around with us. Oh, yeah. They're still here with us. I hope you had a, a say like, hey, where'd those guys go? We yeah. missed them. Yeah, I missed that, that pop up on my friday that said point two's here see famous guy once said absence makes the heart grow fonder grow fonder and maybe that's the case here i don't know i hope all are very fond let's get let's be fond together and let's do the ex parte summary real quick let's start with the nebraska supreme court ex parte summary carson i think there's two opinions is that right yeah two opinions all right you go first state versus brenauer jury instructions insanity i've got a swick word a v. There's not a, a V. Oh, yeah. There we go. V. Nebraska Police Standards Advisory Council and a bunch of other people. And the uh, hashtag there is APA and law enforcement. Okay. So jumping straight into it, we start out with State v. Brenauer. And what we have here is Christopher Brenauer appealing from a conviction and sentence for four felony charges after a trial by jury. And the big issue on appeal is uh, that Brenauer attempted to raise a defense of not re- of not responsible by reason of insanity. Um, and at trial, that insanity pr- defense presented a question of law that the Supreme Court had not considered, uh, which was the impact of Nebraska Revised Statute 29. Uh, 2203 section 4 on the insanity defense and essentially what the supreme court here determined was that uh, this subsection does not um, does not affect the precedent regarding um, the insanity defense and that um, here Brenauer should have been allowed to present a an insanity defense and they reverse so this is one of those if you're only listening to this opinion this is a criminal opinion that results in a reversal um, and we see it uh, from where we often see these reversals and that is the jury instruction. But basically, uh, going through the facts here quickly, there's an incident that happens where Brenauer's girlfriend calls uh, the police to help because Brenauer is having this uh, kind of episode, um, and that involves uh, mental health and uh, eventually involves him seriously injuring an officer with a knife and then him being shot a couple of times. Um, And the court here goes through the fact that Brenauer had a long, long history of mental illness starting when he was in his youth um, that resulted in multiple states in the regional center and uh, various other issues. So then we come to the time of trial um, and there are two experts where uh, Brenauer's uh, defense and then both the state have experts who are testifying to um, his insanity and his issue of um, mental illness. And the interesting piece here is that they basically agree on everything except for they disagree on uh, whether or not the memory loss and uh, Brenauer understanding the nature and consequences of his actions and knowing the difference between right and wrong at the time, which is basically that second prong of the McNaughton test to determine if someone is insane. And so the issue here is um, if his substance abuse led to a uh, bout of temporary insanity or whether he was actually insane and deserved to uh, have, I shouldn't say deserve, uh, was able to raise um, a uh, defense of insanity. And so uh, the brief definition of insanity is um under the McNaughton test, the two prongs are that you have a mental illness or disease um, that is in effect at the time of the crime and the defendant did not know or understand the nature of his or her actions or that she, he or she did not under, did not know the difference between right and wrong at that time. 
Um, and so here the state is arguing that a successful insanity defense under 2922.03 subsection 4 is precluded when there is a voluntary use of intoxicating substances that leads to the defendant's lack of capacity. And here they argued that there was issues with drug use and alcohol use at the time. Um, and here what the Supreme Court says is that the state's argument overlooks um, the distinguishment between temporary insanity from settled insanity and that you can still be um, long-term insane and have used um, intoxicating substances and just because you used intoxicating substances doesn't mean that you that they are mutually exclusive that you either have to be insane or intoxicated and that you can have both of those things and so essentially what they say here is that 292203 subsection 4 is merely codifying their long-standing precedent that a mental disease or defect does not include um, voluntary intoxication but that that also doesn't preclude raising a defense of insanity um, which had happened in a couple other cases historically and so um, here they basically say that the jury instructions that were given uh, created a significant danger that the jury erroneously concluded that it was precluded from finding that Brenauer was not responsible by reason of insanity solely because of his prior drug use. And so they should have been allowed to find that he did have a long-standing mental illness that led to um, insanity during this incident and therefore could have had a defense. And so uh, this case was reversed and remanded. That's a, that's a good opinion. It clears up a bunch of uh, historical kind of issues and, and clarifies that, you know, you can be intoxicated and still have an insanity defense available to you. And one of those cases that comes up enough that probably need to take a look at it if you're practicing in that area at yeah. all. I mean, if you uh, have a case where you're going to raise an insanity defense, obviously this is something you need to pay attention to. It's the one. It's the one to pay attention to. Um, here we have uh, Kendall Blake Swickward uh, versus Nebraska Police Standards Advisory Council and Nebraska Commission on Law Enforcement. Uh, Mr. Swickard uh, was a law enforcement officer in Georgia. He came to Nebraska to try and be a law enforcement officer here. They, um, the reciprocity from Georgia was denied and they found a lack of character based, uh, character and fitness based on false statements on his application. He appealed to the district court. Now this was a previous case. Um, back in 2021-ish, there was an appeal to the district court um, following that denial, um, and that was under the APA, and there was a previous Nebraska Supreme Court opinion that upheld that denial and said they didn't need to do that. While that appeal was pending, he applied for basic, uh, basic training, whatever they do, for law enforcement people, and he answered yes to having issues in his background on the application for that basic training. He was denied because he had previously made false statements, which were the same things that were subject to this uh, district court appeal uh, that was still pending at the time. And so he was denied his basic training and then they stayed the denial until the APA was uh, appeal was final. So they were waiting for that APA appeal to go through the Nebraska Supreme Court, and then they were going to issue the denial based on previous false statements. So the issue here is whether that is a contested case for the Administrative Procedures Act, and we don't get an answer because the Nebraska Supreme Court kind of punts on that issue of contested case. They say they don't have jurisdiction. And they say that there's no jurisdiction here because there was a failure to include all the parties of record. The director of uh, one of these uh, entities was made a party to the district court appeal, even though the director participated and everything like that in the appeal. He was uh, not 
part of the uh, appeal from the district court. Therefore, they don't have jurisdiction under the APA because the APA requires all interested parties to be part of it. And there wasn't uh, an interested party here, so there was no jurisdiction. So I think the takeaway from this is uh, if you're an APA practitioner, you got to have all interested parties and you got to follow the APA in order for jurisdiction to attach to whatever you're doing. Otherwise, whatever the district court does um, is a nullity, no jurisdiction. So uh, that's the takeaway from this. That we don't have an answer on clarification of whether this is a contested case or not. And it sounds like Mr. Swickard is not going to be able to be a law enforcement officer in Nebraska, or at least not a certified law enforcement officer. So that goes back uh, down to the district court because they didn't have any jurisdiction. So that's uh, affirmed, or excuse me, um, dismissed. The appeal would be dismissed at that point. That's it for Nebraska Supreme Court. All right, jumping straight to the Court of Appeals, we have Kudera versus Bellina, and the issue on appeal here is that uh, Kudera had a uh, harassment protection order that was granted against Bellina, and the basics of the facts here are that Bellina had outstanding uh, criminal charges at the time that this case was granted where he was alleged to have had inappropriate contact with some minor workers who worked at his feedlot. Uh, this individual was... Um, was the son of Kudera, who um, had also had contact with this individual, but um, there was nothing alleged as far as any kind of sexual assault or harassment or anything like that. It was more that uh, Belina had had uh, regular contact and, uh, you know, it had issues um, basically with continually contacting the son. And then it became a situation where uh, I'm guessing the mother and, and she kind of portrayed this, that, you know, it felt inappropriate then after, you know, these charges and everything happened. And so the district court granted the harassment protection order, uh, sustained the uh, continuing the harassment protection order after a, after a contested hearing. And then on appeal, the big issue is that all these text messages and things come in. And while they show that there was quite a bit of contact and it shows that, you know, there were some issues maybe with, um, uh, with the son of uh, Kadera essentially, you know, disobeying things at home and disobeying some rules. Belina didn't say anything that was uh, terrifying, threatening, intimidating, um, and therefore the Court of Appeals found that there was insufficient evidence to support continuing the harassment protection order under these uh, facts and the facts that were introduced at the contested hearing. And so they reversed and remanded uh, this case simply because it failed to meet that bar in those specific circumstances. And it's probably one of those cases where, um, again, it, it's unfortunate, uh, but you, even though there were all these other underlying circumstances and it's, it's pretty clearly a parent trying to protect their child, the court saying, hey, you have to at least offer you know, a little bit of this evidence in order to meet that threatening, intimidating uh, standard, and they found it wasn't met there. I had State v. Pingle, uh, which is an appeal out of Adams County. Um, tragic case here. There's two people who uh, lost their lives as a result of a motor vehicle accident. Two others were injured uh, pretty severely. Uh, Mr. Pingle was operating a motor vehicle under the influence of alcohol at that time of the accident, and uh, he, the people who were uh, passed away and then the people who were injured were all teenagers. The uh, Mr. Pingle here was sent, ultimately convicted of two counts of manslaughter, two counts of third-degree assault, and one driving under the influence charge. He was given 18 to 20 years on each of the manslaughter convictions, and they were all to be served consecutive um, together with some other, um, I think, 60 days imprisonment on the third-degree assault, and then they, or excuse me, one-year imprisonment on each third-degree assault and 60 days on the DUI. 
Um, they were all uh, supposed to be conser- served consecutive. The only issues on appeal here are excessive sentence and ineffective assistance of counsel. There is um, no excessive sentence here. They were all within the statutory range. It does, I mean, you can, the opinion's a good opinion. It goes through all the factors that you need to for ineffective assistance of counsel. And it is kind of tragic, the the history that he had um, leading up to this accident. There were so many opportunities for um, this to be, you know, stopped, um, this behavior to be stopped. And he just kept going. He uh, tried to indicate that there was an alternate driver that he had. and, And there were some things that he said his counsel didn't go into. But... Well, ultimately, the district court does a good job uh, when it was accepting the plea of going through all the factors that might be um, interesting on a post-conviction and before accepting the plea. And ultimately, uh, because it was uh, within the statutory range and there wasn't enough facts for the ineffective assistance of counsel claim, the sentences were affirmed. All right. I think that's it. I think you're right. I think we're done. Quick one. That was a quick one. Hey. Uh, maybe there'll be another one right after this. Maybe it was a, a final dog days of summer opinion that, you know, or, oh. or, or a few opinions because there's only four this week and not too many the next week. So. I, it's some kind of days of summer. We'll figure that out here <laughs> maybe in a little bit. But anyway, thanks for listening. Uh, go back to episode one for the disclaimer. This is uh, Anderson, Klein, Brewster, and Brandt. This is Point to Law Review brought to you by Anderson, Klein, Brewster, and Brandt. we got offices in Holdridge, Minden, and Kearney. I'm John Brandt. And I am Carson Messersmith. Have a great week, everybody.